Welcome to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, it's time to be grateful. Besides <laughs> being grateful for working with me. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. So this week we're doing all the all the early preparation, planning for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. helping with Thanksgiving tips, or you are. Yeah, because I know everybody's thinking about it. Well, I love Thanksgiving, um, like we all probably do, and it is a it's a holiday that's important to our culture, and and um, it's a great family time in our country. So I think it's you know we get the best of all worlds. We get to be together, and we get to be around the table while we're together, and we are thankful at that time and remember all the things that are really important to us, like cranberry sauce and turkey and stuffing and gravy. And I did use the word gravy. Gravy. But what it really is is a stock reduction. All right, so you're going to get the Thanksgiving 20 questions in this edition of Formula Wolf on food and wine. And then in the third segment, you're going to get grilled again because we'll have a chef challenge. Do it. So let's start with uh, the turkey drama. Mm -hmm. All the ridiculous things that people ask, like, how do you choose a turkey? How do you know it's frozen? How do you know it was not frozen? How do you know about its origin? is Is it a heritage breed turkey? What in the world is a heritage breed turkey? I think those are some of the questions we'll start with. Okay. You have 30 seconds. <laughs> no, go ahead. It's a quiz show. Um, I think, you know, what you want to do is make sure you're getting a fresh bird. Obviously, that's going to be the best tasting bird. Um, it is poultry, and they produce a tremendous amount of them, obviously, at this time of the year. So it is very hard to... Um, you know, deal with something that's volatile like that and, and not freeze it. So, But this time of the year is your opportunity to get fresh turkeys. Um, so I would just go to a market where you trust them and tell them, say, hey, I want a fresh turkey. Where are they? And when it comes down to it, I have, you know, heritage breed turkeys are a thing of the recent, you know, last 10, 15 years that this is something that came back. It's like heirloom tomatoes or heirloom seeds. Well, There's thing, an it's interest a, it's a thing of years in ago. things that are old, right, and things that were pure. And that's what's so beautiful about um, having something that is a pure breed is that it can be often quite excellent. And something that maybe was crossbred to look a certain way or appear a certain way, for example, like a tomato, um, that it would be round and red and not all gnarly and weird like what, a, say, a German striper might look like as it's coming to be ripe. So with a turkey, one of the things you also want to be concerned about is whether it's fresh, but also has it absorbed water, which just adds weight to the bird. So, you know, again, it helps to have something coming from a reliable source. And a heritage breed just, you know, means more than anything. And it's probably going to be expensive, quite frankly, because turkey is quite inexpensive, which is very nice for all of us. But there are reasons for that, which is that it is going to be an excellent bird. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with, you know, just a regular turkey. I'll just put it that way. They can be very, very good. And it's it's really on the cook to take care of the bird and roast it correctly and make sure that it's nice and moist and that it's, you know, that it's not overcooked. Once your turkey is, is just just cooked all the way through, that's, you have to remember the biggest thing about cooking one is that it is often a very large bird. They can weigh 15, 20 pounds, um, depending on your family and what your needs are. And, or maybe you do two birds that are smaller, um, but that there's carryover cook time in such a large piece of meat. So it could 
continue to cook up in temperature for at least 15 minutes after it comes out of the oven, maybe even longer. And and depending on how you handle it, let's say you put a whole bunch of foil all over it, well, that's going to retain the heat. So it's going to cook up even more. So, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, but just keep it, just bear it in mind. I mean, honestly, wrapping it in foil when it comes out of the oven is a great way to serve a hot turkey. Um, you know, while you do all the other millions of things you have to do, and God help you if you're in that kitchen by yourself. I mean, I think that's another thing that's great about Thanksgiving. Everybody comes together. Everybody helps. And everybody should help. Um, Everybody does not do the dishes, though. Oh, well, that needs to change. Everybody needs to do dishes. And, and, you know, that's the thing, you know. I mean, it's a lot of work. I I mean, I think sometimes we dread Thanksgiving because of the amount of work that it takes for the people that are cooking. Well, I think people end up doing menus that often are a bit more ambitious than necessary. I read a couple of things in just preparing, mm-hmm. thinking about today. One, mm-hmm. I looked up Thanksgiving 1916 menus. Okay, that's cool. And almost every menu, there was turkey, and almost every menu had giblet gravy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yum, yum, yum. Right, so mm-hmm. not some kind of exotic gravy. And every menu had some kind of stuffing. And depending upon where it was in the country, the stuffing was a bit different. It might be For sure. oyster stuffing. It might be... Uh, well, white bread stuffing. It might be a corn sweet bread. potato stuffing. Or cornbread in the it, south. Which, yeah. But right. The, I, I, honestly, was, I was pretty intrigued by the sweet potato stuffing, mostly because sweet potatoes are cooked with honey and bourbon. Okay. In uh, 1916. I, that sounded pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there was very few side dishes. It was one or two seasonal things that were really nice, and they were big. I mean, they were obviously, you know, like, you know, big robust of platter of whatever it was. Sure. If it was Brussels sprouts, it was just all those sprouts and, and you know, cooked cooked with bacon and bacon fat, and well, that's, that's it. that's because they didn't have all these things available to them because back then you had what was around you pretty and, but, much, unless you were in a I think that was my port. favorite my, my favorite menu was the turkey with the sprouts and the sweet potato stuffing. It would be my favorite. And, that, and, and everything else was on the table, was on that menu. Were like pickles and olives and celery, and just oh, well, li- little little snacky things. I mean, that's the and that's nice because that's cold. Any in, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm a chef, I'm a professional no. chef, and even I get daunted by cooking at home. You know, which is one of was truly one of my goals with my current kitchen that I just built because. I wanted to have all the work areas that I needed, but I still don't have all the ovens that I wish I had. I have two ovens in my house. I wish I had two more, you know, or even another stove. Well, how do you t- how do you time eleven things to come exactly. out correctly? Exactly, that's the thing. It's just so hard to produce a big meal. And I'm with you on what you just said. I mean, maybe the smartest thing is to just concentrate on what your family's really favorite things are, and just make those beautifully. And that's you know you don't you know, annihilate yourself trying to produce all these different dishes. And that combination of cold and hot is really going to save you, you know. And, no and, if you, and if you can make, honestly, I encourage people, if you like cranberries, to make your own cranberry relish. It's not hard to do. It's actually quite simple to do. And if you make it yourself and you put all the things in that you really love or your family, you know, depending on what culture you're from, you're, you're going to make it in different ways. But I mean, if you make that one cold dish, really, really, really good, then it becomes a very important part of your meal. And honestly, to me, cranberry relish, in a way, becomes the sauce for the turkey. It helps to balance out the richness. Okay, I'll say one thing that I think will help people. And I don't know, this may be shocking. But I would roast my turkey the day ahead and break it down. Okay, so I've talked about this before, but I confit the legs. So I cut the legs off of the bird, and I confit them. Now, that has to be done the day before. Um, because it takes so many hours in the oven. And also, 
Why not? Because it's going to be perfect the next day. Well, it's going to be the, ready the, to go. Well, white meat bird, you know the breast and the legs are going to have a different temp- cook, cook time exactly. anyway. Exactly. Exactly. So I do think you always deal with the two separately, and I think that's smart. Well, most people don't. So, and and I understand that. Even I mean, day of, if you were if you're not dealing with the legs and you were just roasting, roasting the, breast, the breast on the bone, yeah, but it's what a whole I was, lot easier and a whole lot easier to get that to be moist. I agree, but what I was getting at is that if you do actually do both processes, which is confit the legs the day before, um, and actually roast the breast on the bone the day before, then you can undercook it. You need to leave room because obviously you have to heat it back up the next day. And the nice thing about that is when you do take the breast off the bone, um, after you've roasted it on the bone, you throw it on the grill. And that way you have a whole new cooking area you can work with, which is great. And honestly, our weather, I mean, I know our weather is unusual and who knows what's going to happen. But honestly, I would grill in the snow. So, but it well, is gorgeous outside. cook turkeys outside. Well, exactly. <laughs> I was honestly it, thinking about using the... I was wondering about should we? I don't know. There's Thanksgiving in Argentina, but you know, there's there's a there's a restaurant that has a perfectly good wood burning grill. Mm-hmm. Why would I not put turkeys on the spit above? Oh yeah, the wood fire. I mean, maybe we'll get back to the, uh, mm-hmm. the well, first the, uh, Thanksgiving. And just getting back to doing the thing the day ahead is that if you do then take the breast off the bone after you've roasted it, then you brown your turkey bones. You go ahead and make your stock. You go ahead and make your sauce, and you are in such better shape the next day. You're, 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 you know, and you can make your cram. Oh my gosh, you can make your cranberry relish two or three days ahead easily. It just gets better, and there's nothing volatile about that as long as it's in the refrigerator. So, day of you heating things up? Yeah, you're either wrapping the breasts in foil with a little bit of butter, um, a little bit of herbs, maybe you know, fresh thyme or rosemary. Um, again, whatever you like, um, and salt and pepper. Reseason it. Put a little butter in with it. Wrap it in foil, pop it in the oven, or put it on the grill, or smoke it on a grill, um, which would be really fun and really add great flavor. Like as you were saying, you know, going to a wood burning grill. But then you've made your sauce. Your sauce is ready. All you have to do is heat it and serve it. And and then um, now you make your potato puree because you should not make that ahead of time. Potato puree needs to be made fresh. It becomes very weirdly stale tasting if you make it the day before. Um, so if you are having mashed potatoes, um, then once you activate make the potato those. starch. Yeah, so you can make those yeah. that day, and then whatever beautiful vegetable you want. And if I serve collard greens, okay, one more step that it's made a day or two ahead, and all you have to do is heat it up. And then maybe you have a beautiful fresh green vegetable. Maybe you like green beans um, or arcovert, or maybe you want to do the sweet potatoes, which is not a vegetable, but you know, just just do a couple of good fresh things that day. Oh my gosh, it'll be so much easier for you. You'll have so many less dishes because we all know if you have you know, 12, 15, 20, 30 people at Thanksgiving, just the amount of china and and glass and silverware from your table is huge. So if you can reduce the amount of cutting boards and casserole dishes and pots and pans, uh, that'll make your day so much better. Let's let's take a step back to heritage turkey. So in some of the the things that I had read, there's an interesting uh, piece from, actually it's from Ontario, about Mm. Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving meal 100 years ago. And they were talking about, and this is the middle of, 100 years ago, it was the middle of the First Great War, the First World War. And the Battle of the Somme was going on, and we were not there yet. It was still uh, the French and the British and the Germans fighting out on the Somme. And a lot of spices didn't come to the States. A lot of trade was suspended through Europe. And our large trading partners were European. You mean during that war? During that war. Oh, gosh. 
And so that's hard. One of the things that they said was that some of the seasoning of different things were affected. I guess. So that pumpkin pie was being done with maple syrup. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, not know, such a bad thing. Which, which sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's a pretty good adaptation, <laughs> that right? Sometimes good things and not, happen and from not, bad and things. And not some of the other spices. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And also that um, even then, there because there were not all kinds of manipulations going on, I think, with a lot of the animals, they would look for wild turkeys to capture and fatten up the last couple of weeks of that time of the year. And if they only captured so many, there would only be so many turkeys available. So they would, of course, cook other things. Mm-hmm. But that was that was the thing. You would sign up in advance with a farmer or somebody that did that, which <laughs> is kind of a cool thing. Like, like, cool. like the flavor on a, a wild turkey that just got fattened up, that sounds pretty good. I have to tell you that I have had a wild turkey banging his head, beak, I guess it is, on my back door for like the last well, five th- months. Thanksgiving I'm like, is what coming. is you wrong think- with you, turkey? Do you know Could whose be- house you're at? Why don't you call I mean, my brother you know, and ask him to come shoot You're talking about fattening up turkeys. I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh. Why don't you, yeah, why don't you just- turkey ought to know that, why don't you, you know, why don't a chef- you, Why don't you pen him up? <laughs> I'm not going to do you know, that. Just, just pen him up. <laughs> Nobody's really beautiful. And I'm surprised I'm sure he'll how- eat a lot of corn. It is, <laughs> it is interesting. I'll come over and cut his head off. He's super, oh, Tony. Oh my gosh. Stop. You can pluck him. He is super lean. I, I, I really mean, am surprised. Exactly. When you said fatten up, yeah. I'm like, man, that turkey that keeps coming to my back door is really skinny. I'm like, well, oh. that's you see, he, he must be paying attention to his Fitbit, <laughs> that turkey, right? That Fitbit's telling him, get up, walk uh, around, keep moving. Uh, he, he's always 10,000 steps always a day. He's always by himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he's a lean turkey. Yeah. we got to pen him up, fatten him up. But the sourcing, my, my roundabout mm-hmm. root, which mm-hmm. is the only root that I ever have on things sometimes, <laughs> Was it the funny thing is in the modern world you can go to the internet and you can find very possibly oh, yeah. a local source sure. where you can sign up for a heritage breed turkey. Well, you can get that's fresh. Oh, they're local, great local turkeys yeah. all over the place. Go get one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. When we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, we'll stop talking about turkey execution and start talking about turkey actually, cooking. actually cooking it <laughs> and and some right. of the dishes that go with all of that and more on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine on WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. All right, so let's let's get into the nitty gritty of yes. uh, some Thanksgiving preparations. Okay, I'm Let, excited. Why don't you go through some of the steps? Okay. And a few recipes on some of the some of the basics. All right, cranberry relish. So when you buy your bags of fresh cranberries, which is how you make it, you um, it's kind of fun and actually it's also visually very beautiful. Uh, fill up your sink with some water and cold water and put empty the cranberries into the sink and they will pretty much float you want to, there's sometimes little stems is, is on that there the visually beautiful part oh my god the they're floating? so beautifully red i just i always take a picture of it i mean every year but anyway so um 
just kind of run your hands through there. <laughs> oh, Tony. Gosh, we need a visual for this radio show. Yeah, that's, that's no question. We <clears throat> don't need a visual. I, of... I didn't say run your run your hands through your hair, Tony. I said through the cranberries. All right. So, Work with um, what you got, said he. <laughs> and then pull them out, drain them, and just, you know, you're looking for cranberries that might not be nice looking, and um, just remove those and remove any stems. Should only take a couple minutes, drain them, and then on the stove in a, a, as we always say, a heavy bottom stainless steel pot. Bring up to a boil. The, it, let's say you're doing two two bags. Of, well, that's probably not an, uh, Two bags are probably enough, actually, for a family of, say, 10. So let's say a bottle of port. And we use the Fonseca bin something. What is it, Tony? Do you know? Bin 27. Top? Okay, that one. So just to be perfectly specific, that is exactly the port that I use. So um, it's a, do you have any idea how much that costs it's wholesale? A, it, it's not very no, expensive, it's, it's, is it? It's a ruby port. What you want is a ruby port, which is not tannic. It's nice and fruity. And yeah. Okay. So I bring that up to a boil um, with the juice of four oranges. So you want to juice them, strain them. I would put about three cups of sugar in to start, and then I put two cinnamon sticks in and and two pieces of star anise. And I, I let that simmer, actually come up to a boil and then simmer for probably 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And then the cranberries don't take very long at all to cook. You need the spices to do their job in that liquid. Actually, I also put, I'm sorry, half a bottle of red wine. So it's half a bottle of red wine, one bottle of port. Use this little Cote de Rome. The, yeah. It's a Cote de Rome. Yeah, okay, that one. And um, once all the spices have done their job, then you strain it because obviously you don't want the star anise and the cinnamon stick in with your cranberries. And then you bring it back up to a boil after you've strained it, and you put the cranberries in, and it takes all of about five minutes. Now, you can either choose, once the cranberries are soft and pretty, to strain them out and reduce that a little bit, or you can let it go. I prefer to strain them out and reduce it by about 30%, that liquid. And then I check it for sugar. You may have to add actually several more cups of sugar, quite frankly, because cranberries are quite tart. Put those cranberries back in and... And let it sit for about five minutes, and then you're done. It's so good. So that's how I make cranberry relish. And that's one of the things that you can do ahead of time and just have it in the refrigerator ready to go. All right. Do, do you have it in you to talk about mashed potatoes? Not, yes, I do. Not pomme purée. Uh, well, all right. Not potatoes as, as uh, sauce. A and, la Joelle Robichon. And LG, yeah, let's – no, okay. no, no. But, but the way – But regular way, yeah. The merkin. I, well, I would know, just like to potatoes. say – I would just like to say the biggest thing about making mashed potatoes instead of potato puree yeah. is when you boil your potatoes, the water has to have salt in it and do not overcook your potatoes, meaning that – the longer they're in there, they're starch. The more water they're going to absorb. Do you want your potato puree to taste like water? No. You want it to taste like potatoes and cream and butter. Or you can use half and half, or you can use milk. So that's entirely up to you, how rich you want them to be. And I use Yukon Golds specifically, or fingerling potatoes. Fingerling potatoes are kind of a pain um, because they're small and you have to peel them. And that's if you have a lot of people, that could be very time-consuming for you. But fingerling potatoes make a beautiful potato, uh, mashed potato. And so you cook your potatoes in highly salted water. Um, then you drain them very well. How salted is highly salted okay, water? Okay, yeah. Mm, salty enough that the water tastes like salt, but not as salty as you would make it for a green vegetable, which means it needs to taste like the sea. So not that salty. When you taste it, it tastes good. You don't want it to be so salty when you taste it. You're like, oh, boy, that's, you know, so, okay, maybe not highly salted. I take that back. Lightly salted water. Um, and once they're drained, 
lay them on a sheet pan or cookie sheet or whatever you have and put them into a 300 degree oven just to dry them out for maybe, you know, so they you know need to be evenly spaced out on that sheet pan, maybe for three minutes, four minutes. They're going to steam out a little bit of their moisture in that dry heat in your oven. And so potatoes and lightly salted water, then the sauna. Right. And then um, take them out. And then we can do two ways. You can either pass them through food mill, which is what I do, or you can do what my mom does, which is put them in your mixer. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It works. Both work. Um, so maybe not everybody has a food mill or maybe not everybody has a mixer. So it could be one way or the other is better for you. If you're doing it in the mixer, you need to have your dairy hot. I will encourage you to use cold, solid butter. Um, so unsalted butter, a nice fresh butter, you know, bre- butter that's you know, hasn't been in your refrigerator. When I say fresh, I mean hasn't been in your refrigerator for the last four months. And when I say that is because I don't want it to have absorbed odors in your refrigerator. Well, potatoes are so neutral, you can communicate them to your <clears throat> potatoes. Exactly. Those aromas. So if you cut your, let's say, quarter pound pieces of butter into little squares, and okay, so you have your potatoes in your mixer, you have your hot, I'm going to say cream, on the stove, you use your whisk attachment on your on your mixer and beat up the potatoes, and then on low speed, slowly drizzle in the cream into your potatoes, salt and pepper, and then begin to add the butter. You do not want to overwork them, which will bring change the texture of the potato. Well, they get so tired. <laughs> um, and don't make them too thin. That's what you're looking for. That's why Tony's saying potato, you know, mashed potatoes rather than the potato puree that I make. Um, you know, the potato puree that I make for the restaurant has almost a pound of butter per pound of potatoes. It's It's pretty over the top. If you're if you're doing 25% by volume butter and cream, you're going to get what p- people probably think of oh, as, mashed, as potatoes. mashed potatoes. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it'll seem pretty rich and nice. And I do prefer more you, butter than cream quite can, in the end. Yeah. You know, I, I, well, if you reduce I put the, less butter in than I do cream. The trick is reduce that I mean, cream the other way around, a little bit before you put it into it when you're heating yeah. it up. And yeah, I put more butter than cream in, excuse me. And salt and pepper. And, I mean, you know, back in the day when you would read a recipe um, – even Julia Child used to say use white pepper. I am personally not fond at all of the flavor of white pepper, so I, I don't care if there are little specks in my potato puree. I use freshly ground black pepper, and it tastes great. So um, I would suggest salt and pepper as seasoning. So that's potato, mashed potatoes. I'll admit that it's funny. If you can get fresh fresh chives that still have good juice in them, man, that's just There's a great of, thing. Yeah, yeah. There are There's many a things garnishes, you could but, add to, but if you but want oh a basic boy, recipe that for always potato puree. And again, just decide if you want to use milk, half and half, or cream. It's up to you. All right. Let's talk about sweet potatoes. Oh, People have strong feelings about sweet potatoes. They, <laughs> some love them to death, like the sweeter and more ridiculous that they are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some are offended by them being sweet and ridiculous. What camp do you fall into? I, I, well, I was reading through some of the old cookbooks that I have that are from the 1800s and looking to see if there would be any full Thanksgiving menus mentioned in them. One of the things I came across was a recipe for pumpkin and a way that I actually cook spaghetti squash and never, ever thought about doing pumpkin this way because typically we would either boil pumpkin or roast it, but not necessarily in the shell. And it was a very old recipe um, and very old-fashioned way of serving it, which is that you would quarter the pumpkin 
put it on a sheet pan, put a little bit of water in the sheet pan, leave the shell on it, take the seeds out, but leave the shell on it and steam it, roast it in the oven, you know, mm. say 300 degrees. And then they actually serve, I love this. And I know this is very rustic and not fancy in any way, but I love the fact that they would then just limp, literally take those pumpkins from the oven, put them on platters, and people would spoon the pumpkin out. I just, I love the idea of that. Are it feels you, very natural. Are you preparing for politics? Because Actually, in, I, in I this, have been thinking this, about it lately. In this political season, you went directly from my question about sweet potato <laughs> to and pumpkin? pivoted to pumpkin. <laughs> you dealt with none of the issues, oh, but boy. you did it really smoothly. So, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Sandy Wolf might be preparing for a, for a run. You never know. Uh, yeah. So could you – I'm sorry, but I'm going to do what people struggle with doing <laughs> as a moderator. Could you answer the question asked? <laughs> That's Please funny. give us your feelings on sweet potatoes. Well, obviously, potatoes. I had pumpkin on the my brain. The electorate deserves to know about sweet potatoes. <laughs> That's totally awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So, sweet potatoes. Uh, savory. Peel them. Savory or sweet preparation. <laughs> all right, all right. Which camp are you Peel in? them. Cut them into large dice. What? Which camp? Are you, so a sweet preparation or a savory preparation? Oh, savory. I don't like sweet Okay, sweet there we go. Now we know. All right, leave me alone. Now we know. Okay. So, into water with salt. Put the big pieces of sweet potato in there. And guess what? When you take them out, you're going to rice them just like you did the other potatoes. Um, oh, so and ma- you, oh, so I'm, making su- I'm making sweet potato puree. I'm not fond of big pieces of sweet potato. It's just not my not my bag, baby. So um, I'm then going to do pretty much the same treatment I would do to potato puree. I'm going to add cream. I'm going to add butter. Uh, I'm definitely adding a little bit of cinnamon. Um, I'm going to add a pinch of cayenne, a pinch of nutmeg, salt, black pepper, and... I might take it to the sweet point of saying that I would add Gosling's Black Seal Rum because it is one of my truly favorite well, rum is flavor made from profiles. Sugar, but it <clears throat> that's why I said, sugar. oh, it, well, yeah. it seems sweet on so, the palate. So savory, yeah. And if you did want to make it sweet, just throw in brown sugar, and you've got something seriously good. And even 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 you could make a pie with that if you added sugar to it. So if you wanted to do a uh, you know a, a, a diced a large dice prep, I would I would do virtually the same thing, but you're just going to do really small amounts of anything. You, you know, you don't want them swimming in butter. I wouldn't add any cream, but I would I would just toss the potatoes out of the pan with, again, a little ground cinnamon, again, the cayenne, salt and pepper, and a little bit of butter and serve them that way. Or you could cook them slowly in cream and do a gratin, which would be gorgeous, actually, and easy. Again, you can make that the day ahead. You know, the, the, the potatoes are cooked in the salted water, and and you could add to that water to cook. We're talking about sweet potatoes, the cinnamon to the pan when you, or into the water when you're cooking them, boiling them, which obviously imparts flavor into the potato and does it really beautifully, actually. And then just put in a gratin dish with a little cream and butter and seasoning, and there you go. I'm going to kick in a little quick South American because these guys are pretty okay. good at sweet potatoes. I'm sure. So what I... they uh, what they'll do is in pretty salted water cook the sweet potatoes. How heavily salted cool. is that water, Tony? I would say for um, if it's a six-quart pot uh, full with probably four and a half quarts of water. Yes. You're looking at two tablespoons. Thank you. Go ahead. So relatively salty water. Cook the sweet potatoes in their jackets. Cool them overnight. Next day, peel it and very heavy bottom pan, like mm. a cast iron pan. Mm-hmm. Um, in in could be beef fat. Could be duck mm. fat, mm. Uh, could be butter. Okay, but traditionally in beef fat, you know. That's awesome. I right? like that. Yeah. Crush the sweet potato. Of course, it's beef fat. It's Argentina. Okay. Crush the sweet potato. More salt on both sides. 
mm-hmm. cracked pepper on both sides. But you literally, you, you know, you have that one that's it's already seasoned and cool. You crush it in there. You're browning it a little bit on both sides on the side that you want to finish up mm-hmm. before you throw it in the oven for a, for a minute or two. Brush it with a little bit of honey. Okay. Sounds that good. That is crazy good. I like the beef fat. That is crazy mm-hmm. good. That sounds good. So we, the basic side dishes we talked about. We talked about collards for a second. Actually, I think we should talk about want, collards talk a little bit more. Yeah, just again. making collards because that's a that's a very healthful thing, and it is an easy. It is a very healthful thing to eat collard greens. It is. I you know I really think the best way to make them, and there are many ways to make them, is with a smoked ham hock broth. So we, I'll just say for the restaurant, I do twenty four smoked ham hocks, which is a large amount, obviously, and make five gallons of stock that way. Um, and then I add a little bit of chicken stock to it. And a little bit, and actually a good bit of Tabasco and a little bit of salt and pepper. At home, you're going to get a pretty good flavor out of one smoked ham hock. (laughs) Uh, But if you want to buy two dozen, you can. Right. So um, that's the recipe. Just smoked ham hocks, Tabasco, salt, pepper. Once the stock is made, you want to be careful with your salt level because you're obviously going to draw a lot of salt from the ham hocks. um, No onions? No, I don't. No, that's it. That's That's all I put in there. And then how long for the collards? Once the stock is strained, I cook the collard greens usually about 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. It depends on how big they are, how mature they are. So they're tender and not falling apart, right? Yeah, you don't want them literally falling apart. That's too far. You do want them to be very tender. And you want the broth to have obtained the flavor of the collards, and that's part of that process. Um, Also, when I get the collard greens in, I mean, they can have all kinds of bugs on them and, you know, stuff growing on them. So you really want to wash them very, very well in a lot of cold water. And I do pull the ribs out. Um, So um, once you've gone through them, you're sure they're, they're in good shape. They're nice and fresh. The rib's gone. Then I stack them, and I basically julienne them in a, like a wide rib. And, um, and I think that's just nicer to eat that way. Um, so I don't cook the leaves whole. Yeah, cook more evenly that way, especially without the ribs. Mm-hmm. You don't want to oh, eat the ribs, especially All if right. they're mature. So two minutes on on turkey. If someone is trying to roast a whole turkey, they're doing it kind of the old-fashioned way. It's the day of, mm-hmm. and they want to roast the whole turkey. Mm-hmm. I put cold pieces of butter between the meat and the skin, and, you know, you have to get your hand up up in there. Um, basically, you can slide your hand in between the, the cabin, skin between the skin and the and breast the... meat. Yes, and um, not the legs, but the breast meat. And you can also, with that butter, what I would do, a little trick, is to put a tiny bit of salt on that butter while you're kind of popping it in there, and maybe even pepper too, um, just because it beautifully seasons the breast um, while it's roasting. Um, there are all sorts of, I mean. I, I, I do it very simply. I, I, I do it breast side up. I've seen, you know, plenty of people talk about doing it breast side down or elevated or whatever. I mean, honestly, I've never had a problem with a turkey roasting it on its back with the breast up. Um, you want to do it in an oven where you you are going to have a long cook time. It is going to get golden brown. Um, and that is your goal. You want the skin to be crispy. You want it to look golden brown on the outside. You want the bird to be moist. Um, I encourage you to not take it up. To, I'm, I just, I'm scared. Almost scared to say this. Just please don't overcook. I'm not going to say a temperature. Just please don't overcook it. Um, well, if you take it, if, if, if you, you don't pull it, it out of your oven at 100, if you pull it out of your oven 170, it will keep cooking past done. That's the that's, that's the, the problem. That is the problem. If you if you exactly the world is afraid to pull it early, right? You know, and and they're not taking into account if you have let's the, say a 15 pound bird, right? You have significant carryover, carryover cooking. Carryover cooking, which we it's going to keep cooking for. 
most of it, you know, most of the next like 30, 40 minutes. If it's a big bird, it really is. So please consider that. That's that's what's going to dry out your bird. Um, and Ch- chances dry are, turkey if, if, is if, not good. If you pull it at 160 and it's wrapped in foil, it's going to gently finish cooking through and the carryover. And it'll be warm. And it'll stay hot. Yeah. You won't have to reheat it and make it cook even more. I don't think I'd pull it before then, but if you pull it at 170, mm. you will have annihilated. You yeah. will, b- before you serve it, you will have annihilated the breast. And also with your stuffing, I mean, I'm just going to leave it, you know, it's up to you. I, I, we have always stuffed our, you know, you want to make sure the inside of the cavity is clean, that you've washed the bird, that there's nothing in there. Don't don't cook it with the giblets in the back of the neck, which is where they usually put them. Um, so do be careful about that. There are two cavities. There's the neck cavity and the interior uh, of the the breast cavity of the bird or the rib cage cavity. So, um, and my mother always put stuffing in the back, in the neck area too, which honestly, oh boy, was that like the best part of it? Absolutely. Um, but with stuffing, I mean, in my family, we do a very simple stuffing. My mother would always get, you know, some sort of white bread um, the day before and would cube it. Actually, she'd use her, um, what's that, what's that kind of knife called? It, boy, does that bring back memories. Um, an electric knife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can see my dad doing it now. But anyway, she would um, do the cut the bread into cubes the day before. She'd put it in her. She always put the bread in the roasting pan, and just let it dry out a little bit. And then the next, and she would actually um, saute her onion and celery with butter and salt and pepper. And then the next day, she'd put it all together, and then she'd stuff the bird. And she also did always did a second casserole dish of stuffing because obviously we all love it, and it just doesn't taste quite as good as when it comes out of the bird. Nope. All right, when we come back on Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine, it's a few more minutes on Thanksgiving, and then we'll get into the Chef's Challenge. All of that and more on WYPR. Welcome back to Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Jeff Cindy Wolf. A few more Thanksgiving questions for you. Okay. See if you can avoid pivoting away from the topic. <laughs> so, uh, what are your feelings on bread Thanksgiving? Uh, no, no bread. You've got stuffing. You don't need. What bread. about the what about no. those those Parker House rolls? Like oh well, right. Those yeah. kinds of ESC. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I didn't uh-huh. think about that. Okay. Right. Well, and also my sister. God, that was a setup. Okay, my sister makes those. What are those uh, crescent rolls? I mean, like my family. It's like it's a, like annihilation on the basket of the crescent rolls, and you know that's the way they. You know that's cool. Carbohydration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a stuffing lover, so I'll stick with that. But yeah, I get the Parker so, House rolls. Just and the, stuffing mashed potatoes, and the sweet potatoes, rolls and, and all that stuff. Crescent rolls and green vegetables. I like peas. So not cornbread. Cauliflower. No, I, I mean, honestly, my family's from, you know, Pennsylvania, so I didn't grow up on on that. Although, and I can have cornbread every day at work. So 
Yeah, that's. Uh, see, I, I'm I a big need... believer in cornbread at Thanksgiving. I like I it. I get a lot. it. I get it. I get it. Especially like in a, a big skillet kind of situation. It is fun. You know, the nice thing about that's the nice thing about cooking for one group of people instead of all night long for different people is that you can make one big old pan of cornbread in a nice, great cast iron with some good fat in there. You know, maybe it's pork fat that you cook it in, or maybe it's just corn oil. But maybe um, you took the liver from nice the turkey and, and you brown. browned it off. Mm-hmm. and a little duck fat with a little bit of onion just to season the pan and got it out of there and then put your cornbread batter in there. And the sauce. And, and we ne- we didn't actually get into that too too far. The sauce. You're talking about the gravy? Yes. I have to admit that I get a little bit horrified, and as much as I love my mother and, and the way that she makes her gravy freaks me out. Yeah, Mother Wolf stopped listening. Yeah. She often would leave most of the fat that was in the bottom of the pan um, from the roasting and add flour to it and add water. And then that would, I'm like, you, no. So if you do roast your bird the day ahead, if you, you know, you can do the, that's the beauty of it is you then cut the breast off. You've already cut the legs off because you've, if you've comb feed them and now you can brown uh, the carcass, cut it, just pull it into pieces. Or if you have a cleaver, break it up a little bit, um, but put it in on a, in a roasting pan in the oven, say 395 degrees and get it nice and brown and then pull it. Um, drain it. You do not want any fat there. And put those bones in a stock pot or a big pot with cold water, a little bit of carrot, celery, and onion. You don't want to put too many carrots in there because it is a white stock and it's or a lighter stock and it's you don't want to blow it out with the flavor of the carrots. So you know, maybe you put one carrot in and, and half a head of celery and one onion um, in a large dice and maybe one bay leaf and four black peppercorns and maybe a pinch of, barely a pinch of dried thyme, and bring it up to a boil, uh, turn it down to the lowest simmer, and let it cook for two and a half hours. And then you can strain that, reduce it down so you get good flavor. So maybe you reduce that stock down by 25 to 50% until you're happy with the way that it tastes, and then mount it with a roux, which means you bring it back up to a boil. Uh, you have now melted, gently melted butter, and it's um, one part butter to one part flour. Um, and just add a few tablespoons, if you will, of um, that. You have to make the roux cold if your stock is hot. Um, whisk that cold roux into that hot stock, cook it out 30 minutes, and you should have a beautifully thickened, um, really, really pretty sauce. You do want to pass it through a sieve when it's finished. So dessert? Is there going to be dessert at this thing? You know, I'm not big on... Dessert. Really? So no, how about, no pecan how about you? pie, no pumpkin pie, no sweet well, potato it'll, pie. It'll be there, but it, it's not coming from me. So, what are your thoughts on dessert, Tony? People love pecan pie. They aggressively love pecan pie. I think it's because it's kind of a sugar pie with nuts on it, for the most part. And people love their pumpkin pie. I'm I'm a sucker for sweet potato pie. Okay. That's, right. That's 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 a, that's a that's a big thing for me. And the, the crust is a big deal on these things. It's funny. A lot of people struggle making pastry crusts. It seems like. And I think that it's pretty easy to come up with a graham cracker crust that you're going to like. Oh, I like that idea. You yeah, know, I, think I love that's, graham cracker it's, crust. That's, that's really, you're not going to have problems with things rising or kneading or like. And that's easy. Literally, it's easy. Graham cracker crust is, if, you, if you're not a good baker, I recommend that strongly. Mm-hmm. And pumpkin pie filling is is not that difficult with a little bit of work to get worthwhile pumpkin pie filling tell you right now, you'll probably like it better if you make it with butternut squash. 
I know. See, that's what my mom does. Yeah. Oh, actually, she uses yellow crookneck squash. But I mean, my, my well, we've talked about this before. I never knew. I always thought when she said pumpkin pie, my sister and I were horrified when we found out that she made it with squash and not. But that's the way she grew up. I mean, the, making the, it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, honestly, in the end, it's really delicious. So who cares? Yeah. I mean, but, the, the other, the other. St- I mean, all of the, the how you decide to season it. I think people sometimes go overboard with all the seasoning mm-hmm, on that. I think mm-hmm. that's. That's the thing to be careful. And I think that the thing that's – I like pie and ice cream. I don't know why there isn't pie and ice cream at Thanksgiving. <laughs> most people do whipped, I would be most whipped grateful. cream. Yeah. They yeah. do whipped cream for it, but I like pie and ice cream. Mm-hmm. You know, that's – Why not? Exactly. There's, I know Ooh, that You could make like a sour cream ice cream or a creme fraiche ice cream for pumpkin pie. That might be tasty, especially if you use a graham cracker crust. That might be fun. You could. I would rather have something a little boozy, honestly. But that's mm-hmm. – you know, well, some kind of there are lots of choices. Some kind of rum raisin or something like that for pumpkin pie. I think I would like a lot. But you know what? We're down to a chef's challenge. Okay. So I think that you're going to be in deep trouble. So what's your list of? I'm going to make you deal with something that I'm going to make you deal with something that you never deal with. Oh boy. Ever. What's, what's that? Ever. <laughs> are you ready? Yeah. Leftovers. Oh. That's Ooh, right. Fun. Leftovers. Okay. I like that. I'm up to the task. That is your situation. Oh, good. Well, I'll tell you right now, I have dealt with leftovers at Thanksgiving, um, and one year I made a pomegranate mayonnaise, and I mean, now every year my family asks me to make it again for the turkey, because my sister just, my brother-in-law's from Iran, and so they have a lot of really cool- You're talking about for turkey sandwiches. Yeah, they have a really cool um, pantry with stuff that not everybody would have, and um, I have to say, so I made pomegranate mayonnaise. But you're not at your sister's. Oh, where am I? You're at your house. Oh, okay. And this is all you have. Oh, this is it. Oh, all right. Okay. So leftover ah. turkey leg. Is it confit or roasted? How are you prepared the leg? Oh, well, it would be confit. Walnut. Oh, walnuts, Swiss chard, garlic, Spanish onion. What does that say? Oh, durum wheat, eggs, turkey carcass. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Cranberries not cooked. Rye yeah. whiskey. See, you, you bought oranges, a lot of stuff that you never wine. quite got to cooking. Okay. Because people do this. Rye whiskey, oranges, port wine, day-old bread, salami, yum, acorn squash, dairy, and dried herbs only. Well, that's mean, Tony. All right. That so happens. <laughs> that wouldn't be happening at my house. Turkey leg. Um, so it's confit, so it's it's already off the bone, and it's nice and clean and ready to go. I am making a salad because that's going to be just so good. Um, so the Swiss chard. I guess it's a warm salad since it's only Swiss chard that I have. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I guess what I'm kind not of salad are you making? making? Acorn squash salad? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of a warm salad. So I'm going to wash the chard. I'm going to ju- I'm going to julienne it. I'm going to uh, finely chop the garlic. Yeah. Put a little bit of olive oil in the pan. No. I'm going to put corn oil in the pan. I'm going to get the corn oil just warm. I'm going to barely toss that garlic around in there. I'm going to hit it with the shard. I'm going to pop the walnuts in there, which will be cracked um, and already roasted. And then I'll put the turkey leg in there. And in a separate pan, I'm going to julienne Spanish onions and put those in a super hot pan and get them really caramelized. And I'm going to put those on top. And that's it. Although I really want to add some of those cranberries. So meanwhile, I will have already cooked the cranberries and the orange and the port wine. Mm although I need sugar for that. So that, sal- that warm salad will get garnished with some of the... And I'm not going to let the cranberries really burst. I'm going to le- just barely cook them so that the you'll have these like crazy, tart, wonderful uh, cranberries and a little bit of that, that poaching liquid with the oranges and the white wine can be part of the vinaigrette. Mm. 
on that salad. And now apparently I need to make pasta. So I have durum wheat and eggs. And what else do I have? Wow, this is getting ugly. Um, <laughs> all right, so <laughs> I'm going to make a little Told pasta. <laughs> I'm going to make a little, um, you know, I really just like fettuccine. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll it. And, and the, kind of the fun thing about making that is I can roll it out with a rolling pin. I can cut it with my knife. I don't need to get any equipment out. Um, so, and it's a, it's a labor of love. I'm just going to do it, you know. And so I'll, ma- I'll, I'll make my fettuccine, let it dry. And then I have this whiskey and salami and that's what's going to go on my pasta so i'm going to pop i'm going to i'm going to blanch that i'm going to cook the pasta excuse me um i'm going to julienne the salami i'm going to put it in the pan with that whiskey and a little bit of butter and i'm going to toss the uh Oh, and I have acorn squash. So actually, I'm going to do a small dice of the acorn squash. I'll pop it in the pan as well. Toss it all with the pasta. That'll be pretty fun. The day-old bread, I'm going to make um, toast points with a day-old bread. And I'll reserve some of the salami and do a little bit of bruschetta uh, on the side just to start people off so they have something to eat while I'm cooking. There we go. Thanks, Tony. That is not remotely what I thought you were going to do. <laughs> well, it's always nice to surprise you. Oh, yeah. It's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the salad was jarred. Okay. All right. K-Palm. Sorry, that makes me think of foghorn leghorn when I see K-Palm. Uh, stale bread, onion, celery, carrot, chicken stock, thyme, rosemary, bay leaf, peppercorn, kale and mustard greens. Okay. Green beans, oysters in the shell. That's nice. Uh, Watercress, chavizo, oils, and vinegars. Parsnips, pecans, bacon. Well, job one, sort out the capon. You're Hmm. you're cooking at your dad's house. Oh, electric range. Okay. Um, (laughs) Capon, I'm going to break down into parts because, frankly, my dad loves fried chicken. That's nice. Um, so I'm going to make uh, fried chicken, the, and I'm going to make a choice. I'm not going to serve both kale and mustard greens. That seems a little bit much. But wintertime, to, uh, do I have some breadcrumb? Dale bread. Dale bread, yeah. <clears throat> so I'm going to have to dry that in the oven a little bit and grind it up into a little bit of breadcrumb. I need something to to coat that chicken with. So hoping that they have uh, – I'm probably going to have to use – what is likely two percent milk in the fridge, <laughs> and a little bit of a little bit of uh, melted butter that's clarified. All right, uh, mix that Good, together healthy with people. Uh, yeah, with the uh, the thyme and a little peppercorn, and uh, make a, a batter. And I know they have eggs in the fridge, so make a little batter for uh, that chicken and get a big deep pan ready to fry it. Hoping I have oil out there. Uh, peanut oil is nice. Canola if necessary, but peanut would be nice. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm going to break the cape on the parts and then fry that up. Uh, chicken stock, I want to make soup. That's for sure. Um, I need a little bit to wilt mustard greens down with. I think mustard greens is what I want. Uh, the parsnips, and I'm going to make into a gra- almost like a gratin with uh, the bacon. Uh, pecans, I'm going to eat them. Probably watching the football game with my dad. Sorry. Let's see. Oysters in the shell. We're just going to eat the oysters in the shell with the beer we're going to have watching the football game before <laughs> any of this other stuff happens. Good. Green beans, eh, maybe a little light pickle on those guys. Serve them as a little garnish on the table. Watercress, treviso, that's an easy, snappy salad. So maybe with a little bit of carrot. You'd honestly just kind of even grate the carrot. So that that is just kind of a fine, fresh relish on the on the plate. You have that and the pickle green beans is an accent. 
You have the nice uh, mustard greens, hopefully with a little bit of spice to it. The soup, you know, maybe even just... I'm, I'm going to use the stock for a little bit for the gratin and a little bit cook the greens with. I'm going to save the rest of it. The rosemary, I don't think I have anything for it. Maybe make a rosemary mayonnaise or something for uh, that fried chicken would be nice. Mm-hmm. Have that around, but kind of old country food that I want to make with what you have here. Yeah, why not? So Sounds good. Well, that's all we have time for on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. You can download this program or any other podcast from the WYPR website, wypr.org. Just go to the Foreman Wolf page and uh, select the episode that you'd like to hear. You can follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. On Twitter, Chef Cindy Wolf, and on Instagram, Chef Wolf. And Tony, I hear you have a Twitter account now. A Twitter? No way. There is, however, Instagram, as shocking as that is, the real Tony Foreman. Versus the fake one. I think there's a faker out there. <laughs> so the real Tony Foreman is the Instagram. Good. And you can correspond with the program via email, foremanwolf at wypr.org. Thanks for listening. And have a great Sunday. Thank mm-hmm. you.